This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal News Network's open season hotline. Today's question, does Medicare cover chiropractors? And what about my FEHB plan if I'm still working? Medicare Part B covers manual manipulation of the spine by a chiropractor if it's deemed medically necessary to correct spinal bone alignment, in which case you'd pay 20% of the Medicare-approved amount and the Part B deductible applies. Your FEHB plan brochure would say if your specific plan covers it, but if it doesn't, you can pay for these services out of a flexible spending account. Check out our Open Season Hotline. Head over to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Open Season Hotline. You can post a question there or call 844-305-1500. That's 844-305-1500. Send us your questions. We'll read the answers daily at 7 past the hour here on the Federal Drive. The Postal Service delivered more than a billion packages during its peak holiday operations last year and looks to break that record again this year. But now a new study suggests USPS is putting too much of an emphasis on its package business while sacrificing prompt mail delivery to all parts of the country. For a closer look at the study, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the former Commerce Department Undersecretary for Economic Affairs, Robert Shapiro. You know, the Postal Service is unique. It is the only federal agency that also competes directly with private companies. It's a federal agency with a monopoly on first-class mail delivery, and then it competes with private companies for package delivery. And what's happened over the last 10 years is that the demand for mail service has declined sharply because of the internet. It's down by about 30%. And so revenues from mail deliveries are also down about 23 or 24%. Meanwhile, again, because of the internet, package deliveries have been growing very rapidly. And the USPS's market in package deliveries has increased several hundred percent, as have the revenues. And now about 60% of the revenues come from mail and about 40% of the revenues are coming from packages. How has its business in package deliveries grown so fast in the face of this competition? Well, the answer is that they underpriced the competition. Now, how can they afford to deliver for so much less than UPS or FedEx or DHL? Well, They take resources from the mail delivery division and they shift it to package deliveries. And this worked until the pandemic, but the pandemic had such a large impact on mail delivery declining and on package delivery rising that it overwhelmed this strategy. And so for the first time, They had to sacrifice prompt universal mail delivery in order to maintain their market share in packages. Essentially, what they have said, what DeJoy has said, the Postmaster General, is we're going to run everything like a business. The segment that's got a declining market, we're going to deny them resources in order to shift them to the division that's growing. Of course, it's only growing because they've been shifting those resources. 
recognizing that mail volume, mail revenue is on the decline and packages are on the upswing here, is a solution that you guys are proposing ultimately keeping standards at a certain level and pricing accordingly, is that a viable way for the Postal Service to perhaps go forward here? Well, I think so. We know we can determine the resources required to ensure universal prompt mail delivery. And then we have a choice. We can say we will continue to pay for the resources necessary to fulfill the public mission by raising postal rates. Or Congress can say, no, we're going to keep postal rates where they are, and we're going to appropriate the money the difference between what the postal rates would raise and what's required for prompt universal mail delivery. The other choice would be to say, well, we're going to sacrifice universal prompt mail delivery and use the resources for package delivery. You know, the irony here is that the biggest customer for package deliveries are the private package delivery companies. 50% of the business of the USPS parcel delivery division comes from the last mile deliveries for UPS, FedEx, Amazon, DHL. That they ship things from warehouses across the country and from state to state. And then when it comes to the local delivery, because the Postal Service has this unique network that reaches every business and every residence, and because they've been subsidizing what they charge for package deliveries, the big package delivery companies use the Postal Service for the local leg of the delivery. So that makes it a very complicated problem to solve because you want to preserve that capacity while also restoring universal prompt mail delivery. For a lot of these private shippers, they are competitors as much as they are customers in this space. The way you spell it out here, it kind of seems almost like a, a symbiotic relationship here that these private shippers are maybe not in any hurry to see this altered in any way? Well, the private shippers stand to benefit and stand to lose because the Postal Service is also competing. The other half of its package delivery business is state to state, and it's not simply local last mile delivery. And there, the Postal Service is using resources from the mail division in order to underprice the private companies in in the longer haul part of package delivery. Let's stay on the, the thread of USPS management here. I know we've all poured over this 10-year reform plan. Continuing on this whole thread of this conversation here, do you see this 10-year plan doing enough to invest in the mail delivery side of the operation here? And if not, what would you have liked to have seen in here to perhaps rebalance the scales here? The fact is that until we can find a way to really separate the mail delivery operation and the package delivery operation, this plan will succeed only in 
solidifying the end of prompt universal mail delivery because the leadership under DeJoy has embraced the goal of we're going to deliver your mail over a much longer time. Instead of two days, it'll be three to five days. That's now becoming policy, which is to say the policy is that the resources, which are primarily supported by postal rates, because postal rates still deliver the majority of revenues, that those revenues will no longer be part of a guarantee of prompt universal mail delivery. Robert Shapiro, former Commerce Department Undersecretary for Economic Affairs, now chairman of the consulting firm Sonicon. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them 
I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters uh, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking
talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Top tech companies like Intel have a secret to their success. They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.